too. I'm just going to tell you that right now. It could be. It's just, you know, the book of Romans, like I said, some have taught the book of Romans and went home to be with the Lord before they even finished the book. It's just so much depth to it. And uh, again, this series I titled Made Right. It's what we've been singing about in worship. We can't make ourselves right. Only Jesus can make us right. Amen. And uh, I titled this morning's message, Privilege and Responsibility. And we'll We'll understand that a little bit more as we get into it. Privilege and responsibility. We're going to read verses 1 through 8, and then um, we'll take a moment here and pray. But let me first take a drink here. And uh, we'll read this together, and then we'll pray. It says in verse 1, <clears throat> What advantage then has the Jew, or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God, for what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true and every man a liar, as it is written that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust to inflict wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come? As we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, their condemnation is just. Everybody understand that? Does it all make sense? Because we could just skip this, right? And we could pray and just send you off into your day. You know, I mean, I read this and I'm just like, even now you read and you go, man, what is Paul saying? And uh, again, if you're at that place, just know that uh, it's not as complex as we can make it out to be when you look at it in context. And we'll talk about that here this morning, but let us pray first. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth, even the truth that we don't necessarily comprehend at first glance. But Lord, thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who is our true teacher and who quickens it, that Lord, to both our mind, our heart, Lord, to our very being. And uh, Lord, not that we would just know your word, but God, that we might walk in it. And Lord, that we might magnify it, glorify you. Thank you, Lord. We live in a country where we can still own Bibles. And Lord, we can meet in a place like a church and open to the public where anyone who desires can come in. Lord, and we can read your word. And God, it does what it always has done. It changes lives. And Father, I pray that for us today, that it would change our life from glory to glory. God, you love us so much. Uh, Lord, you, you love us the way we are, but Lord, you love us too much to leave us the way that we are. And so Lord, by your spirit, by your word, Lord, bring those convictions to our heart, to our mind, those things that Lord, you desire today that we would just lay down at your feet and offer as worship to you that, God, we might experience the freedom that's ours, that's in Christ Jesus today. Some maybe for the very first time, others that, Lord, have just been distant from you, and not because you move, but, Lord, because we, we move, we drift. And so, Lord, thank you that the light is always on. There's always an invitation to come home. And I pray for every heart, Lord, every home today, that, Lord, we would draw close to you, that we would take you at your word, that if we would seek you with all of our heart, we'd find you, when we seek you with all of our heart. And we bless you today as we pray in Jesus' name. And we all agreed saying amen. Amen. 
So let me see. Did he take off? Did Anthony? Anthony might have skipped out on me because he didn't want me to sing him happy birthday. Do you see Anthony in here? He was sitting back, and, and he was there. And and Buddy reminded me. What was it? Two weeks ago now, Buddy. When, when was your birthday? Two or three weeks ago. But I I made a mistake. Shane texted me before the first service, but I don't carry my phone with me, obviously, because I don't want people to text me before the service because I'd never get anything done there, you know, so, but it said today's Buddy's birthday, but then Buddy told me after the first service, so we sang him happy birthday in the second service, and he said that I had the opportunity to sing him happy birthday the next week in the first service, but guess what I did? I forgot. So now, not anything on Buddy at all. We're now like three weeks after Buddy's birthday. And so we're going to sing him happy birthday. Anthony just came back in. Anthony's birthday was yesterday. And who else? What? No, what do you want to say? Mary's birthday is when? Friday. Was Friday or it's this Friday? Was Friday. Happy birthday. So we have, we have three birthdays that I know of. <clears throat> or we could just start in the front row and just cover. No, but we have. Because it... We'll go Anthony, because his was yesterday. Mary, because hers was Friday. <clears throat> and Buddy, because his was three weeks ago. And I missed it for you guys. And the only reason that it's important is <clears throat> Second Service did a really good job of making sure Buddy was taken care of. You know, if you want to take him to lunch, you want to invite him over, you know, things like that. But uh, he just reminded me that you guys didn't know. So I just want to, I just want to play fair. Right, buddy? Okay. Because he wasn't going to let me forget it, were you? Yes. <laughs> the church is one. Remember that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Rebuttal. Yeah. So we're going to sing happy birthday. It's going to go Anthony, Mary, buddy. Okay. On three. One, two, and three. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Anthony and Mary and Buddy. Happy birthday to you. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. And many more. And, you know, this would be uh, sad news for us as a church, but uh, we talk about birthdays. Um, most of you know Matthew Trimble. Uh, Matthew went home to be with the Lord yesterday. He'd been sick uh, all last week and, and um, um, just whatever it was, uh, ultimately it was the day that the, the Lord took him home. And so he celebrated a birthday, his first uh, yesterday in heaven. Uh, so we pray for Portia as well, that uh, the Lord would be her comfort and her strength at this time. Um, we're going to be getting together um, a group of guys in, in our church and um, meeting here in the next week or so. Um, I just want to throw it out to you and I'll do it both services. Uh, if you'd like to help, we're going to be doing a lot of work at her place. Um, we're going to try to do it in a really, really short amount of time within two weeks to actually literally go in and almost gut the place and uh, clean it up. It, it needs some, some major TLC. <clears throat> so we have the resource within this church to be able to do that. There's the manpower, the, the woman power and, uh, to be able to, to help her. And, uh, it's, it's, it's 
probably the most rewarding part of ministry, you know, to be able to minister to widows and to orphans in their, in their need. And uh, these are those moments where it's, it's awesome to see the church step up. And what a testimony. You know, I shared with Portia yesterday, she had said, you know, she didn't understand, you know, which none of us do, obviously, when you're hit with something like that, with the loss of a loved one. But um, to see how, you know, faithful God is, you know, and, and a lot of my job as a pastor, I find, is just reminding people of the faithfulness of God. You know, you've, if I've met with you, I've probably shared with you at one time or another that, you know, I'll ask you, I go, was God faithful, you know, six months ago? And you go, yeah, yeah. Well, I go, was he faithful a year ago? And then, yes, he was. And I go, okay, so if he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, is, is it safe to say that he's going to be faithful six months from now and a year from now? And there's just something as people begin to, you know, uh, you know, I think it was uh, Corey Tin Boom who said it, you know, that, you know, what we need to do is not wrestle, but let our hearts nestle, you know, with God. And uh, when you start to do that, it's, it's, it's a profound thing. And to help people um, come to that place. And I was sharing with Portia, I said, you know, it's amazing, you know, how God works. I said, you know, God brought you, you know, to our church, you know, a few years back. And, and uh, you know, now look at it. I go, you know, you guys sort of started a ministry there in the mobile home park each week. And now we're over there with Together We Can and distributing food. And you have all these friends and some, you know, are in fellowship in our church. And, and you've, you've actually, God's used you to help, you know, uh, grow a family. You, you, you have family, you know, and then it was so neat that all, all her friends from within the park just began to show up and, you know, to minister to her and just to be able to remind her, you know, that, you know, God works through his people. And, uh, so, um, it's just one of those things as, as we move forward, you know, we'll have an opportunity and it, it's a great need. If, if there's sometimes, you know, we have people that go home to be with the Lord all the time, but, um, there's not always a great need in the family, but there is a, a, a great need here. And, um, so I know the Lord will use us as a church family. And so if you have construction skills or decorating skills, or just, you know, you've got the ministry of helps and just want to help, um, you know, you can just contact the office and just say, Hey, just, you know, uh, put me down to get in touch with me for, you know, when there's going to be a meeting and we'll probably, if we can, we'll put it in the bullet and it'd be in there next uh, Sunday. And uh, we'll let you know, but we need to do that pretty quick here. We don't have a whole lot of time. And then with regard to Matthew's memorial service, we'll let you know um, this next week, you know, as that, as that rolls out as to how that will go, go about, but just uh, thank you for, for loving people. Thank you for taking the time, you know, just, I know as people have reached out to her, that just heard through the, you know, proverbial grapevine and uh, just provide that care. And I know that uh, she's feeling that comfort today. Um, so with that, <clears throat> we'll get into this here this morning. In the book of Romans, you know, the apostle Paul here, he's explaining obviously to his readers, you know, the gospel, it's the, the good news. That's, that's what the book is really all about. How an unrighteous, you know, human can become a righteous man or woman. Um, how somebody who, like I said, isn't right with God. That's why the whole series, you know, is made right. How we can be made right. You know, that, that is the gospel. That's the, the good news. And yet, um, you know, Paul starts, you know, with, with bad news. We wouldn't know what really good news was unless we understood there is bad news. And, and he takes three chapters basically to lay this out. And that's what we've been studying if you recall, if you, if you haven't been with us, you know, the, the book of Romans is, is 
pretty easily broken into four main parts. You know, the first three chapters, like I said, from chapter one to chapter three, verse 20 is about the, the wrath of God or the judgment of God. Um, from uh, chapter three, verse 21, all the way through chapter eight, we're really learning about the grace of God. So it's going to get really, really good here in the next uh, few weeks. And then in Romans 8 and Romans 9, Romans 10, Romans 11, um, we're talking about the plan of God. And then ultimately the book um, ends, chapters 12 through 16, discussing the will of God. And so it's, it's, a, it's a profound book. I find myself, like I've shared with you, that pretty much every major revival has, has been traced back to a study of this book. And going through it, and, and it's been, you know, just just a joy for me in conversations with some of you that as you're studying it yourself, you're going, oh, I get why uh, rev revival is, is, is something that, you know, even just in these first three chapters, because you, if you're like me, if you're reading it and you read it with an open heart, there has to be some sense of conviction, Okay. Um, he's not writing to justify us. He's writing to demonstrate that there is none righteous, no, not one, that we are all guilty before God. And whether you, you know, in chapter one, if you remember, um, if you've been with us, Paul's, he's addressing the, what we might call the, the worst possible group, right? That would be the, the pagan, you know, for the Jew, it was the Gentile, the non-Jewish person, the person who was just living a life of debauchery, just complete just you know if you had to put a tag on it that um you know I've, I've done many funerals you know through the years and and i've been to many funerals and i've been to a couple that i didn't officiate but i was in the the audience i knew the person and the opening song of the memorial service was frank sinatra singing i did it my way and i'm just looking at this and and you know people are just like they said i did it my you know and you're just going and you're going, really? And then as a Christian, I'm thinking, oh, that's not good. You know, because the Bible's very, very clear, right? That it's appointed unto man wants to die. And then at death, guess what? We're going to stand before God, right? And we're going to give an account. You're, you're going to give an account as to why you did it my way, you know, type of thing. I always love that they go, it's not, you know, that we would do it my way, but that what? We would do it Yahweh. That, that's really what life is all about. And so... He deals with that group that's way out there. And, and he does it in such a way, like I said, it's almost like he's writing like a, a good prosecuting attorney, but he's wanting to pull us all in, but he, it's like he's not tricking you because he's laying it out. But if it's sent, you get that sense like that, that someone would read chapter one and they'd go, oh, that's disgusting. Yes, they deserve to die. You know, like remember I shared with you when Nathan the prophet, you know, came to David and was telling him about his sin, but he did it through a story about a little lamb, right? David hears the story and he's, that man, he needs to die, right? And Nathan just pulled him in, right? And then what did Nathan say to him? He said, David, you're the man. And that's what Paul's doing here. So when you get to the end of chapter one, and if you say in your heart, as you read that and you go, oh, you know that, and then he goes, but you, he says, who understand these things are taking place and you don't, you do nothing about it. He goes, you might as well be clapping your hands and approving of it. And we go, ouch. Yeah. And then in chapter two, he goes into what we would call the, the moral person, you know, the ethical person. Like I said, the person who doesn't necessarily have a personal relationship with Jesus, but tries to, to live by the golden rule in their own heart and mind. And they might do a really good job at it, but guess what? Still, 
For all have what? Sinned. So if you've broken one commandment, what did Jesus say? If you've broken one commandment, you might as well what? In the true sense, broken them all. Because if you broke one, do you, is there like levels of hell? Is, did he, does scripture teach that? Like you know, there's a, it's not as hot, you know, if, you're, if you've only committed a few sins, but if you committed a lot of sins, you go, no, no. Hell is hell. You know, in the truest sense, if you want to understand that, you go, when you think about hell, and scripture definitely defines it, but hell is, you know, the absence of God, outside the presence of God. Heaven is heaven, not because, you know, there's a bowling alley there, you know, buffalo shoot or a poker game or golf, you know, course or whatever, you know, people want to say. Heaven is heaven because what? Jesus is there. Yeah, that's what makes heaven heaven. And hell is hell because Jesus isn't there. And so Paul pulls that person and then ultimately ends up, and we finish that today here in verse eight, all the way through, is that he's dealing with the spiritual or the religious person, especially the, the super religious, you might say, of, of actually the, the Jewish person who, who claims to keep the law. And then in that respect, like I said, you can see it through the study of Jewish history um, the way that the Jews looked at the rest of the world, especially the rabbis, you know, that they would in their daily prayer, thank God that they weren't a Gentile and they weren't a woman, you know, and they weren't a dog. And uh, so you can get this kind of, you know, superiority, you know, and, and that can happen in any of our lives, you know, because we, we tend to, we don't struggle with that particular sin. We can look down on that particular sin. And that's why Jesus would say first, before you try to deal with that, that, little speck that's in your brother's eye to get the log, you know, out of your own eye. And he, and he, in Matthew chapter five, like I said, if you want a great equalizer chapter is go to that chapter, because that's the one that Jesus used, just like Paul is speaking here in Romans chapters one, two, and three. So again, you know, when you look at this and break it out there, it's one of the things that I, I really love about studying this particular book. When we look at the book of Romans um, it, it's that it's, it's God who makes us right. I mean, we just, we can't, uh, you know, overstate that fact that you cannot make yourself right. That's what Paul is driving at here. It's not like you try to clean up your act. You know, it, it's so sad when you talk to people and you invite them to come to church and you invite them to, you know, some church event and people would say, well, nah, not yet. They go, you know, I need to take care of some things first. And it's like, well, what do you mean? And they go, well, I got to like, and they'll basically are saying, I got to clean up my act. When there's nothing that we can truly do to ultimately clean up our act, only God can. And so it's, it's not clean up your act and come to God. God doesn't say that. He says, come to me and I'll clean up your act. And, and that's one of the, the great blessings that we have about the word of God. You know, he's, he, yes, there's instruction in the word of God, but really what the word of God is, is teaching us is that we can have intimacy with God. We can have a personal relationship with God. That's what he wants. That's what he created you for. We turn a personal relationship into busyness. And people do the same thing in their interpersonal relationships. You know, I mean, I do enough marriage counseling where people will come in and their problems are there going, you know, well, we're just not close any longer. You know, and you go, well, why aren't, why aren't you close? Well, we're just busy. You know, especially it can happen with, you know, young couples who have kids and are raising their kids. All their energy and their focus goes on to raising their kids, which it never surprised me then at 18 to 25 years of age and their, their kids are, you know, older and gone that all of a sudden a couple's coming in and they're going, hey, we're getting a divorce. 
I'm like, really? You just made it through the hard years. And they go, I'm, I live with a stranger. They go, I don't even know who this person is in the truest sense. You go, and I, I've shared many times in this pulpit, you go, well, what, what happens? And you go, that which what doesn't grow together grows what? Grows apart, yeah. And so the same thing, you know, it's, it's human nature. It's the same thing that the Lord reveals to us, you know, as he's speaking to us about the nation of Israel here. So we understand that of all the words that we need to, as we go through this study, the first word, you know, that really, you know, comes to mind that if you're a note taker, you might want to write this down. It's the word imputation, you know, because again, to be made right, God has to impute his righteousness to us. And, and I love that because obviously, you know, what he's doing um, is he's imputing something that's not ours, but he puts it onto our account and, and that's imputed righteousness. And with that, like I said, um, he makes this declaration and that declaration, that's more of the word that, you know, we're familiar with is the word justification, you know, another word that you want to write down and we're going to, we're going to deal with a lot and study as we go through this book, the word justif justification, it's God who justifies. And he makes this declaration that, that we're just, that we are righteous before him. You know, again, like I said, he loves us the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us the way that we are, right? God wants to change us. And he, again, wants us to understand that we can have security in our relationship with him. And, you know, you, you heard that term or phrase used for justification, just as if I'd never sinned, right? And that's what God has done in Christ, that when Jesus went to the cross and he died in your place and my place, that he took my sin and your sin in his own body, and he nailed it to the cross. And what was imputed to us was the righteousness of Christ. Jesus was perfect. He was sinless. So everything you could say that was in your account and my account, and we were bankrupt, is God took that from us, and he replaced it with his righteousness. So that when you and I stand before God, we stand before God justified, just as if I'd never sinned. And with that, then, we can have confidence before God, because he's not looking at you, he's not looking at me, he's looking at his own son, who our lives are hidden in. We've been covered by the blood of the lamb. And so that's what makes the gospel such good news to us. But before Paul really gets there, and what we'll spend a lot of time, like I said, in the weeks ahead, um, just kind of wet your whistle there a little bit, you got something to really look forward to, is he makes certain that we understand there's really bad news on the front end of this that, that leads to the fact that as to why we appreciate or should appreciate the good news of the gospel. Uh, it, you know, again, but if we dodge it, you know, people don't want to ever really admit that they're as bad as they are. I, I could ask, you know, in your life, are, do you struggle at all with, with confessing that you're wrong in your marriage or your relationship with, with people? Is it hard to say, I'm sorry? You know, is it hard to, you know, are you the peacemaker uh, in your relationships? Because it's difficult uh, for all of us at some point, but it's difficult for others you know, constantly, you know, and it, so you go, why is that? And whether it's being performance-based or, or works-based or whatever it might be, but when you finally get to that place where you go, you know, my righteousness isn't based on what I've done. My righteousness is based on what Christ has done for me. All of a sudden, there's a freedom in that. And when you start to really understand the gospel and it, and it starts to really sink in, um, there's a genuine love 
for God that happens, not because you're striving any longer to try to please him. There's a desire that comes knowing how much he loves you. Like I said, I, one of my favorite pastors is Damien Kyle. And Damien Kyle once said in a, in a sermon I was listening to, he said, the most difficult thing in the life of a believer is to sin against love. And it was just such a profound statement because it's so true to sin against love. When you know how much God loves you and what he's done. I mean, again, in our little, little minds, you know, to, I mean, we're not going to really comprehend it. You know, Isaiah makes it really clear, right? That God's ways are high above our ways and his ways are beyond finding out, but God's a God of revelation and, and he stops, you know, and he makes himself known to us and he invades our, our space, you might say, and, and he enters our thought process. He enters our heart and our mind and he reveals himself. And what he reveals is a tremendous love. I mean, to think that, you know, he says, for God so loved the world. He didn't say that for God was so disappointed with the world. And he had much to be disappointed with. You know, or God was so angry with the world. He says, no, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. I mean, you think about that. You, know, that, you that have kids, if you have one child, and to give that one child that, you know, because when it says his only begotten son, what it's speaking of is his one and only. There's nothing else, no one else like him, okay? And that, it's interesting when you think about it, that's God himself. And he's, and he's giving this up for us, for us. Because when that starts to sink in, you know, all of a sudden now when the things that God would ask us to do, or what he reveals to us in his word, those don't become difficult. Like I said, John writes, the commandments of God, they're not burdensome, right? They're not a burden. When you love somebody, you know, you do it because you love them, right? My wife and I, we were laughing because, you know, uh, it gets to be this time of year and my wife loves Christmas lights. And I love looking at the expression on my wife's face when she's looking at the Christmas lights, but there's nothing that I like at all about putting Christmas lights up. I, I, I mean, I almost lose my salvation every Christmas. I mean, it's just one of those things. It's just the things that go through my mind. I mean, I do. I, I think that's one of the things I love about Christmas. I get saved every Christmas. You know, it's like, <laughs> I'm up there putting those lights up and I am just like, and I'm doing it because I love my wife. And I told her, I go, and I don't like heights. And heights to me could be, you know, how high, is, how high does it have to be to be a height, right? If you don't like heights, three feet is high enough, right? If you're standing, seriously, if you're standing on a stepladder, right? You know, and you got to lean out on the thing and you're thinking, I'm 61 years old. If I fall off this, this could be it. You know, I'm not 12. I'm not going to do a, a, a bear, you know, like perfectly roll. I, I fell off Susan's fence. You know, I can tell you, um, I went to Susan's house. She, she calls me one day and says, Hey, Pastor Mike, I, left my garage door open. Could you go over and shut my garage door? I said, sure, Susan. She just lives around the corner from me. So I go in there. And so I think I'm going to use the old, like I do at my house. You hit the button, right? on the used to be on the back wall and you'd run to the front. Now they make keypads on the outside, but they didn't back in the day. So then you had to step over the thing and get out, right? So I go to Susan's house and, hmm, well, here's what I'll do. I'll go, I'll close the garage door. And then I'll go through because the garage door was open up to the backyard and I'll just go out the gate. 
So I shut the garage door. It's locked now. It's not going anywhere. And I locked the back door as I went out to since it was open so people didn't break into her house. And I go to the gate, and the gate's got a padlock on it. So now I'm locked in Susan's backyard. And it's raining. So I walk around to the other side of the house. There's nothing to climb on or anything. So it's an old grape stake fence. You know what kind I'm talking about, like from the 50s? Still there. And so I climb up on the fence. And I'm on top, and I'm holding on to the, the roof. And I'm so I'm getting my feet there, and I'm going to push off. Well, um, I have my hand on one of the grape stakes, and all of a sudden, I hear this. And I'm going like this. In the slow motion, I go through the fence, and as so I go down into the flower bed, I, there's a pond of water there. I roll over onto my shoulder, and I roll to my back, and I immediately pop up, but I'm looking to see, did anybody see me do that, right, type of thing. And I don't know if they did or not, but I haven't shown up on social media, so I'm, I'm, I'm thanking God for his amazing grace. But I mean, but I'm only six feet up. And my whole life is passing before me. And that's a lot of years. And you only got six feet, you know, to go to go to the ground here. So it's one of those things, you know. But I'm going, man, God. To think of when you love somebody, what you will do and what you'll put yourself through. And what God did for me and you. I mean, we could just spend all of December just focusing in on the birth of Jesus, what that means prophetically, what it does mean historically, what it means eternally, you know, to us. And, and I hope it just never grows old for you to look at the gospel account and, and to be ministered to by it. Because you look at the repercussions, you know, the other way, um, you know, obviously as chapter three opens up there, you know, Paul is, he's being, you know, he, he's probably been asked this question a lot. These are, he's, he's stating this as like a rhetorical question, right? Like a prosecutor, he's asking a question, then he's going to answer it himself. But it's a question that many people have asked, most likely because of the fact that Paul, being a Jew, remember, whenever he went into any city, where was the first place that Paul went? Where did he go? He went to a synagogue, right? And then he, and he was sharing what? He was sharing the gospel, but he did it in a synagogue. He wanted them to know that this Jesus was the Messiah who was prophesied in the Old Testament, the one that was promised of God, and that, that ultimately they had rejected. And so his message wasn't very well received. But he, he understood because he talked with people all the time. He understood what the questions were. He understood, you know, what you know, differences people might have or arguments they might have, you know, against it. And so, you know, again, if a Jew was there and they had listened to, you know, what Paul had just shared, you know, previously there in chapter two and verses 17 through 29, I mean, they've got, you know, a lot of questions. So, you know, Paul pointed out to them, like I said, he, he goes back and he pointed out that, you know, in chapter one, creation, obviously, for the person who doesn't own a Bible, creation itself, right? is going to let them know that, that there is a God in heaven and that God is there. And he declared that, that creation would be the thing that would condemn uh, the, you know, you might say the Frank Sinatra, you know, type of uh, person in the world. And then secondly, you know, there in chapter two, you know, like I said, your own conscience, that your conscience that is outside of you, that comes from God. Nobody lives up to their own conscience. So when people, like I said, will say, well, 
you know, that person never heard the gospel. So therefore, you know, God can't send them to hell, right? Because they can't be responsible. And you go, no, it's not what God said. God said that their conscience will judge them. And what does that demonstrate? If your conscience judge you, nobody lives up to their own conscience. So what does it prove? Everybody's guilty. And everybody needs a, a savior because everybody's a sinner. And they go, but, and you go, well, maybe the more important question is if you knew that person and you knew the truth, how come you didn't, you didn't share the truth with them? That probably would be the more appropriate question, especially in light of our responsibility. That's why I talk about today, privilege and responsibility, because the Jews had both the privilege and they have the responsibility. And guess what? And today, you and I, we have both the privilege and we have the responsibility. If we listen to all the, the, the I mean, excuses that we give as Christians, you know, we say it, you know, and we'll share it with other people. I can do what? All what? All things through what? Through Christ who strengthens me, except minister the gospel to that unbelieving person that, you know, because you hear people, well, he hasn't called me to, and you go, no, he has. He's called every single one of us to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Because if you have a testimony, you know what you once were, and you know the difference of who you are today. And because of Jesus, if anything, again, as Revelation says, we overcome the accuser by the blood of the lamb, by the word of our testimony. There's power in your testimony and sharing that with people so that they, they comprehend that. And so Paul says, you know, your own conscience will condemn you. And then in chapter three, like he said, he goes, the, basically the commandments, the word of God. For those who, the Jews who had the word of God and, and knew the word of God, he goes, the very word of God, which they thought actually was given to justify them, he actually is telling them, no, the word of God is what condemns you. As I shared with you last week, you know, Galatians says that the, the word of God, the law of God of the Old Testament was a tutor right, to keep them in line, to bring them to Christ, was to demonstrate their need for God and to open up their heart to him. And, and that's really what he addresses then. It's what we spoke of last week. So here he says in verse one, he goes, what advantage then has the Jew or what profit is it of circumcision? So Paul's, like I said, asking a rhetorical question. And uh, he's, you know, going, they're looking at it. They're going, wait a second, you know, I mean, if we're on the same level as, as a heathen, right, in chapter one and, a, and a, you know, a moral person in chapter two, he goes, then, then what's the privilege or what's the benefit of being a Jew? I mean, what, what, what good is circumcision, you know, in, in our lives then? So they, they definitely is going, there's, there can't be any advantage then, is there, Paul? And Paul begins to answer that for him. So, you know, what, and you could ask yourself this, what advantage is there? for the Jew. And you think about it. Well, God gave them the word of God, right? They had the very words of God. Moses received the 10 commandments, then the prophets. I mean, everything was written down. Everything was preserved. Everything that was kept, you know, you know, we, we think of, you know, the, the laws of Moses, you know, then we ended up with what 613 laws that, that then become, you know, 22 volumes of the Talmud of the Jews. I mean, it's an amazing thing that, you know, 
that the Jews had all these laws, these sundry laws, these dietary laws, everything that keep them in check, to keep them you know, healthy and moving along the way. God gave this to the children of Israel. So what does it give them? It gives them an advantage. It gives them a head start, you might say, in the truest sense. You know, God chooses somebody, gives them something to give to someone else. So they definitely had an advantage. I think of you know, passages like Deuteronomy 14.2, where it says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself. He's talking about Israel a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. That's pretty awesome when you think about it. How about Isaiah 43, 21? This people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. But I think you, you read this and you go, it's about a relationship. That's what it's about. It wasn't for them to do God's bidding in the truest sense. It was for them to be a reflection of this relationship that they enjoyed with him, the same way is for me and for you. But see, their problem was they concluded that just being Jewish all by itself is what made them acceptable to God. The same way I shared with you, you know, I was Catholic. So because I was Catholic, that's what made me acceptable to God. It had nothing to do with a personal relationship. It's that I had a heritage. I had a family heritage. So that was what they believed. You know, Abraham's our father. And because of that, by gosh, we are saved. And then chapter two, you know, makes that perfectly clear that being a physical descendant of Abraham didn't make them spiritual descendants of Abraham. You know, Abraham was the father of what? Not just the Jewish nation, but he's also the father of those who believe by faith. That's where you and I are grafted in. We become children of Abraham by faith. Basically, you could say this, Paul is saying, if, if he hasn't put a mark on your hearts, then the mark that you have on your flesh is worthless. Same thing like I was sharing last week, like a wedding ring. What good is a wedding ring on the outside if there's not devotion on the inside? Same, same principle. So the Jews definitely had an advantage. And then you think, well, how did that advantage, advantage play itself out in, in the real world? Because if you study all the things that the Jews have gone through from captivities, whether it was, you know, the... Um, you know, Babylonian captivity, you know, whether, you know, um, it, you know, the Holocaust. I mean, just think I could fill in all the gaps in between, you know, it, 400 years in Egypt, you know, I mean, everything that's gone on, people could go, man, what's the advantage, you know, in this? And you go, you think of in the real world, you think back to the Middle Ages. Remember the, you know, we called it what, uh, bubonic plague or black plague, right? Uh, so there was infection that was being spread by rodents, and most likely they believed, or fleas that carried it, and wipes out millions of people, right? And But yet there was these pockets of Jews that were completely unaffected by it. And so the rest of the world thought that maybe the Jews actually had created the Black Plague um, you know, as an attack against the rest of the world. And further study concluded what? Those of you that have studied it was that what protected them were what? The sundry laws, the cleansing laws, the dietary laws. They washed their hands frequently. Uh, they practiced the Passover. When part of what was the Passover, what preceded the Passover? Unleavened bread, right? And what did they do in unleavened bread? They cleaned their house out. Things that they did. You go, that God did what? He protected them. You know, 
And you look at this and you go, there are so many protections within the word of God, right? If a person, even if they don't have a personal relationship with God, just by adhering to the word of God, provides safety. There, there's all kinds of people that, like I said, the, especially the chapter two Roman, you know, the, the moralist, the ethical person who goes, oh, I don't have a personal relationship with God because I don't believe in God like that. But I like the Bible because they believe that the Bible is what? The, it's not the inspired word of God, but they believe that it's the inspired work of men, that it's a great book. I mean, this is like the best that man has to offer. Many people believe that about the Bible. They go, it's like, you know, Picasso painting, right? But in literature, they go, man, you know, I mean, 40 guys, you know, they nailed it. You know, they, they did a great job, you know, and we need, to, we need to hold it in that esteem. They don't see it as inerrant. They don't see it as God-breathed, as, as the Bible says of itself. Men moved by the Holy Spirit pinned the words of God. This is God's word. And, and God entrusted those words to the nation of Israel. We have a Bible today because they were faithful. We owe so much to our Jewish friends. Verse two goes on, it says, much in every way, it says chiefly because they were committed the oracles of God. Like I said, all throughout history, you know, the Jews, they missed the reason for the law, but nonetheless, like I said, they benefited from the results of keeping the law. What's the, the oracles? It's the, the logos, the Greek word, logos, the words of God. All the promises, everything contained in the Old Testament scripture, what Paul's talking about are the, the oracles of God. And he says, you know, it, it, gave you, it gave you an edge. It gave you an advantage over everybody else. God chose you. You think about that. God's chosen people. God revealed himself to you and to the world through you. He spoke to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and Daniel, Josiah, Joel, Amos, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Malachi. I mean, so many others, you know. God did what? He spoke. God spoke. But it's important that we understand this. Having the truth isn't the same thing as heeding the truth, is it? Do you know anybody who owns a Bible but never reads it? That would be the same thing. Having a Bible but never reading it. Or another, I think, great gloryism. It's, you know, it's not so much that you get into the Bible, but rather that the Bible gets into you. Yeah. That's why Jesus said, man can't live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, that we feed on it, that it's food for our soul. And so... Again, understanding. And again, we live in this era, you know, today, the word of God is under attack. If you think about it, you know, we have to answer for ourselves two things. Do you believe that the word of God is inerrant? Do you believe that, that God's word is, is 100%, you know, we go, oh, well, there's this and this. And you go, man, if we're going to go down that road, you go, he, in, in its original, in its origin, God's word, 100% without error. And it's not just that his word is inerrant. And this is maybe the bigger challenge today that happens is do we believe that the word of God is sufficient? Sufficient for life. Can we turn to the word of God today? And you'll find, and it's happening more and more and more and more, even what we would call Christian counselors would say, 
Well, I believe in the inerrancy of God, but I don't believe in the sufficiency of the word of God, meaning that the Bible isn't enough, that we need, you know, it's like Jesus plus what equals salvation. You go, nothing. Well, we need this and this and this and this. And you go, I think part of the problem, if you look at what's being taught today, um, I think if you have any basic understanding of the word of God, that you go, what's being taught today is in direct opposition to the very word of God, right? And that'll be the challenge. They'll go, well, we'll see, we don't, we don't believe that about the Bible. That's a, that's a dangerous place to go. And again, so we're going to have to make determinations. We're going to have to make decisions. You know, what am I going to, what am I going to believe? And, and here's the unfortunate thing. And it's what the children of Israel dealt with all throughout their history is to be a friend with the world is to be what? An enemy of God. And we have to make those choices. But so many people, so many in the church today, I mean, and just as we started studying this, I've had conversations with some of you, you know, lifestyles that people choose. And it's right there in scripture. And God says that that's not what I want for you. And then many people in the church today, they go, well, I don't, personally, I don't hold to that, but I don't see what's wrong with it. If somebody chooses that for themselves, you know, that's how I believe. <laughs> well, Paul says what? Let every man be found a liar and God be found true. Because, man, we can twist the word of God to fit almost anything that we want it to fit. And there's a price. Jesus said the way to destruction is what? He said it's broad. He said and many people are going to be on that road. He said, but the way to life, he said, it's difficult. And he said, what? And narrow, narrow is the way. And he said, few there be that find it. But it's good. It's safe. It protects us. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Peter goes on, chapter 1, verse 20, says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy spirit. And so it's safe to say, you know, what Paul is communicating to the church there in Romans chapter three, it's still the message that he would communicate to me and to you today with privilege comes responsibility. Jesus said it best where much is given much is what? Much is required, yeah. Where much is given, much is required. Kind of just by a show of hands, you ever heard the story of the, the mutiny of the bounty? You ever heard that? Yeah, a few of you have? Yeah, it's, if you haven't, it's, an, it's a really interesting story and it really fits this here. He's, you know, um, kind of the backstory, you know, to it and how the, the Bible played a, a really a key role in this story here. There was a ship that had sailed from England. It was called the Bounty, the HMS Bounty, and it was in 1789. And the, the crew was commissioned by the British government, and they were to make the islands of the South Pacific more habitable. So they brought fruit trees and, you know, food-producing plants and stuff, planted gardens, everything there. And uh, they lived uh, on the island. So they were there uh, for 10 months. you got to understand England is where they were from and England is to where they were to return. So as they lived there for about six months, um, <laughs> that's, not, that's not a whole lot of time. 16 months in, it was time for them to leave. So they've kind of lived in this utopia for 16 months. 
you know, they've planted fruit trees and vegetable gardens. The weather's great compared to where are they from? England, it's a little damp, you know, it's cold, you know, this, this is like the good life here. So they decide, you know, we don't want to leave. Captain says it's time to go and the crew doesn't want to go back. They love the climate. They love everything about, it's like going to Hawaii on vacation. Um, they love the local girls. And so there was a mutiny on the bounty. So they sent the captain back, tied him up. Those that were loyal to him, put them on the ship, sent it back out to sea. Somehow England gets word of it or they don't return on time. So they send out ships. They find him. They find the captain. They find the loyal crew there. And then now they're going to go back and they're searching for this island. They want to find, you know, those that, uh, uh, again, had mutinied here. And uh, so this expedition sent out from England. And uh, as they recover them, uh, they want to bring those that are behind to justice. And in the meantime, while this is all taking place back on the island, nine of those sailors who stayed behind, they went to another island. They found another island close by, and they formed a little colony there. But uh, these guys were kind of like what we see in Romans chapter 1. They, they, they went from bad to worst. I mean, they, they lived a lifestyle of debauchery here, completely immoral. And uh, they learned how to, to make whiskey, and uh, they fell into what we would call just all kinds of sin. They suffered from various diseases. They ended up murdering each other. And then at this uh, colony, there was every single person had died except for one. There was one man that survived and his name was Alexander Smith. And he was going through the belongings of all those that had died. And uh, he came upon a Bible. And here he is, you know, with all these women and these children and He's got this Bible and he starts to read it. He'd never read a Bible, never had a Bible, didn't know what was in the Bible. So all of a sudden he starts reading it for himself and, and he's like, man, this made a difference, made a difference in his life. And he loved it so much that he began to teach it to the women, to the children there and uh, decided that he just wanted to teach the Bible to everybody there. And he went along teaching it and they began to, you know, implemented in their life and their lifestyle and fast forward about 20 years it took that long 20 years for them to the british government to catch up with them they find this island and when they arrive they're completely astonished by what they find there they find complete order they find people living in a sense of utopia this is like complete harmony caring for one another there's no uh, immorality going on there's no uh, you know adultery taking place there's you know I mean, people are, are prospering, there's peace, there's no crime, and there's no disease, you know, all these things. And you go, why? There, there was no illiteracy. I mean, the, the, everybody knew how to read, and they were reading the Bible for themselves. And you go, why? What, what, was, what was the point of all this? Because they believed and they applied the Word of God. They didn't just believe the Bible, but they believed the Bible and they applied the Word of God. And it was the very thing that the Jews failed to do. They had the word of God. They were given the word of God, but they failed to apply the word of God. And, it, and it's, it's such a, a great reminder for us today, you know, is that we have been given, you and I, tremendous privilege. If your eyes have been opened to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you understand and know your salvation, that it's not something that you deserved. It's not something that I deserve, but it's something that God has gifted to us through his son, that he's opened our eyes to that fact that it's a privilege to know Jesus Christ. Amen.
And with that privilege then comes a responsibility. You know, it's been well said, you know, the Bible doesn't just change a life, it changes a lifestyle. As Pastor Chuck would say, you know, if there hasn't been a change, then there probably hasn't been a change. Because that's what God does. He loves to change us from the inside out. In my notes here, I have the, the Bible has the power to change the life, but it also has the power to do more, to change a lifestyle. But only when you apply it. If you don't apply it, there's no advantage. There's no advantage at all. And then Paul, you know, as he goes through the rest of this, he says, you know, for what if some did not believe or their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? And it's like, no, it doesn't. Matter of fact, it proves it. Can you imagine, you know, Judas standing before God? I mean, in arguing, you know, with God saying, well, look at God, you know, I mean, look what happened. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, yes, I sinned, you know, where sin abounds, grace does all the more. And so, I mean, doesn't my sin actually make you look really good? And because, of, you know, my unrighteousness, I mean, only demonstrated your righteousness all the more. And, and we can get twisted with that. You know, Judas could stand before, of all the people could stand before God and say, listen, if I didn't do what I did, you couldn't have done what you did. And try to justify that. And Paul's going, no, no, it doesn't work that way. Even in our failure, even in our sin, even the nation of Israel, what did God himself call them? He called them a stiff-necked people, right? They were rebellious against God. And you could guess what? Not everyone, but there were obviously the majority. Jesus wept when he looked out over Jerusalem. Why? Because he knew the destruction that was about to come upon them. Peter would write, God's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That's his heart for me and you. Nobody can say, well, you know, God, you know, you, you made me like this. And this is what we see in our culture today. Because you made me like this, you know, then you can't judge me. Because you made me this way. And you go, well, God can, and he will, to demonstrate his righteousness. Because he is a holy God. And if he didn't judge sin, he wouldn't be holy, and he wouldn't be loving. And there's so much, like I said, as, as we walk through this, and we'll spend more time as we get into this, you know, over this next, you know, couple of weeks, as it really starts to unfold into the grace of God. But one of the things that I really you know, want to leave you with today, <clears throat> the privilege, you know, only has value. It only has value to us if we live it out. If we don't live it out, there, there really is no privilege. I mean, to, to own a Bible, think about that. You know, and we've all done it. I've asked this question a lot. Like, you know, I go, hey, have you ever read the Bible and you read something and you go, if I only knew then, right, what I know now. And you go, but it, was it always there? And you go, yeah. And it wasn't like God was hiding the truth from you, you know, that would have delivered you. Most likely it's due to the fact that we weren't what? We weren't seeking. We weren't reading. We weren't applying it. We weren't really serious about it. And you go, but there is a privilege for me and for you to own a Bible, to have a personal relationship with God. And there's a responsibility that comes with that. And it's, and it's not that you go, oh, I have to go out and I have to work for this. And you go, no, really the responsibility is to what? Is to know him. Go back and read for yourself, John chapter 17. God's desire is that we would know him. Because if you know him, church, what's going to happen is you're going to love him. If you really understand God and you understand his heart for the Jewish people and his heart for you, that's going to make you love him. It's not going to make you think, oh, he's, 
he's a taskmaster. He wants to go, no, because what does he demonstrate through the nation of Israel? Was, was Israel faithful to God? No, no. Well, who was faithful? You go, God to Israel. That's the faithfulness. That's the celebration. And you think in your own life, and I think in mine, is it because we've been faithful to God? No. In my failure and your failure, my sin, your sin, where sin has abound, grace has all the more. And that's never a license then to go, oh, let's continue in sin. That, you know, that the grace of God, you know, like, hey, let's help God see, you know, demonstrate how good he is by we'll just continue to sin. And you go, no, that wasn't the point at all. What it just says is how gracious God is. But there is a price. There is a suffering. There is a penalty. The wages of sin is always going to be, always has been, death. Maybe not eternal death, because obviously we're saved in Christ, but it has a price. It destroys our peace. It destroys our comfort. It destroys everything that, that God desires that we have. It, sin is a cancer that kills and Jesus came to set us free from that, free to walk with him, free to know him, free to understand, free to be led by God. I'll leave you with this you know, passage this morning. I was thinking, you know, just right before I left, I didn't even put these in my notes for the guys. I was just, just praying this morning. There's two passages that came to mind, and we'll close in prayer. Micah 6, 8, it says this, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? In other words, he says, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. To walk humbly with your God. To walk with God. That's, that's what he wants. He's not telling you, oh, go out and win the world, do all this and do all this. He's like, no, just walk with me. I'll do what I want to do in and through you when I want to do it through you. All I'm asking you to do, all I'm inviting you to do is enter into that privilege is let me give you my word. And let that word make a difference in your life, which led to Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom and teaching, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Yeah. Walking with God, enjoying God. He saved you because he loves you. Think about that today. He saved you because he loves you. And he wants to have a relationship with you. He knows you. And his invitation is for you to know him. And when that starts to happen, you go, it's like John said, the commandments of God, they're not burdensome any longer. Because the most difficult thing there is in the life of a believer is to sin against love. And so my hope, you know, this week, you know, you want to fall deeper in love with Jesus? Spend more time with him. Seek him in prayer. Seek him in his word. Seek him in fellowship. Seek to make him known. Try to invite him into every conversation that you're in. Invite him into every place. See his fingerprints on everything. And I'll tell you what, you know, it was just like talking with Portia yesterday to see her go from a place of just sadness and all of a sudden to go, she starts to see the hand of God. Yeah. God was preparing. He knew yesterday was going to come. And God had brought people into her life. It wasn't stuff. He brought people. People began showing up. People that she had developed relationship through the body of Christ. And there was a comfort and there was a peace. She got to see God's hands and God's feet.
God's care, God's love, because people were responding in that love in her life. And all of a sudden you look back and you go, oh, yeah, he was faithful six months ago. He was faithful a year ago. And since he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, guess what? He's going to be faithful six months from now, and he'll be faithful a year from now. What do I need to do then? Walk with him, enjoy him, rest in him. As Corey Tim Boom said, don't wrestle, just nestle. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray today as we go from this place that, Lord, we go with just a, a, an understanding, a deeper understanding that, God, you have a plan for our life. It's a good plan. But it's not just to go out and do a bunch of stuff in your name. And there's a bunch of good stuff that we can do in your name. But, Lord, we can get so far ahead of you. Let us learn the lesson that Paul is sharing with um, the Jews here in, in Romans chapter 3. That, God, you, you've given us your word. A word that we could apply in our lives. And, Lord, we see that it keeps us safe. But it wasn't a word to separate us from you. It was a word that was to draw us closer to you. That Jesus, you said it best that you said, my sheep, they hear my voice. That your word is your voice to us. And Father, I pray that you would help us to hear your voice and that it would lead and guide us, Lord. That it wouldn't shackle us. But Lord, as Jesus, you said, and you said it best, that the truth we'd know and the truth would set us free. Free to love you free to love one another. Of all the things we, we look in the world today, we just see a complete lack of love, a lack of love for God, a lack of love for his people, a lack of love for the world around us. And so, Lord, my prayer, our prayer, bring revival to your church, Lord. Help us to recognize afresh our need for you and let that need turn into a want for you. And not just a want for ourselves, but a want for the people that we come in contact, just like Paul loved the, the Jews so much that God, you'd give us a love for people in general so much that God, we would be willing, wanting, wouldn't be a burden. It'd be an opportunity to tell them about the love of Jesus. And so Holy Spirit, empower us today. Empower us to know you more, to know you deeper, to love you more, to love you deeper, knowing that, Lord, when we do that, everything in this life falls into place. Lord, forgive us for getting out ahead of you. Lord, help us to walk beside you, to follow behind you, Lord. Lead us and guide us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, church, I'll invite you to stand to your feet, and you can give the Lord a clap offering. He's worthy of praise this morning, as always. Stand to your feet and we'll, we'll send you out with song today. And if you need prayer for anything, we're here. Love to pray with you, but have a blessed Sunday as you go today.